Father, we ask that this morning you flood our hearts with the revelation knowledge of your son, Jesus. Help us to know you more. Fill us with the knowledge of your will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding so that we walk worthy of you unto all pleasing, bearing fruit unto all good works and increasing in the knowledge of God. Thank you for a beautiful day today. In Jesus' name, amen. So, shall I change the microphone? Um, amen. All right, so um, I want to do a continuation on what we started yesterday. So I'm teaching on why Jesus came. Why Jesus came. So this is not a Christmas message. As people expect Christmas messages to be, just to talk about the fact that Jesus was in a manger and people were saying, Jesus, thank God, a Savior has been born. That's beautiful. But we also want you to understand not only the revelation of the birth of Jesus, but the ingredients of that reality. Because that is what will change a man's life. Just knowing that Christ has been born is not enough. Praise God. There are details of that reality. So we don't, we don't just want to make it like a festive message that everybody teaches every year. So I don't want to do that. I want you to live here with a certain understanding that you can live with. Praise God. Yesterday we began to... Uh, in the latter part of our teaching, we began to look at why Jesus came. And I want to build up from there, but I'm going to do a recap so that uh, we can get it. Praise God. So, there are quite a lot of them, but we're going to look at a few as our time is going to permit us. We said, number one, Jesus Christ came to erase and correct man's misconception about God. Jesus came to erase and correct man's misconception about God. Before Jesus came, every man had their own definition of who God is. Based on the experiences they had or had. The Jewish people saw God to be a distant God. In fact, the Jewish people believed that God was and is so holy that if you are writing a letter to someone you want to mention the name of God, you have to stop from there. Go out, go and wash your hands before you come and write the name God. If you don't, something terrible can happen to you. So they had their own ideology. Some believe God was an angry God. God was a distant God. God was unfriendly. God they didn't have anything to do with man. And God was just wicked, just killing people just like that. So Jesus came as the explanation of God. So that whatever we saw in Jesus became a reference of who God truly is. So Jesus came to erase the misconception. Can you bring the volume down a bit? The, the feedback is too much. So the sensitivity must be reduced a little. 
Hallelujah. So he, Jesus came to give an explanation of God. In John chapter 1, the verse 18, the word says, no man has seen God. The word seen there is experienced God at any time. The only begotten son which is in the bosom of the father, he has declared him. The word declared is explained him. Praise God. Now come to 1 John chapter 5, the verse 20. 1 John 5, 20. Now the Bible says, and we know that the son of God is come. Now look, it's going to tell us a major reason why Jesus came. He says, and has given us an understanding. So Jesus did not only just come to die for our sins. He came to give us what? An understanding that we may know him that is true. So Jesus came to explain and to give us an understanding of him that is true. Then he says, and we are in him that is true. Even in his son Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. So seeing Jesus is seeing the true God. If you want to know the true God, you find the true God in Christ. In John 14 from the verse 9, Jesus said, If you have seen me, you have seen the Father. That means I explain the Father. I unveil the Father. Any understanding you want to know about the Father, you find it in me. He is the truth of God. So we said yesterday that Jesus Christ came to reveal God to man and Jesus came to reveal man to man. Because if a man does not know who God is, he will not know who he is. Because man is a product of God. Until a man finds the accurate revelation of God, he cannot find an accurate revelation of himself. Men will always have a distorted perception about themselves when they have a distorted perception about God. In other words, our theology is what controls our life. If you find people doing all kinds of things, it's because the understanding of God is imbalanced or wrong. So Jesus came to give us an understanding. Praise God. Number two, I've, I've explained that already, so let's move on. In uh, Number two, Jesus came to express and demonstrate the, the love of God to man. Jesus came to, to express and demonstrate God's love. John 3, 16, the Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. So Jesus is the giving of God to man. I told you yesterday that the best Christmas gift is Jesus. Praise God. So the birth of Jesus is a revelation of the Christmas gift of God. Hallelujah. Thank you, Holy Spirit. So in Romans chapter 5, the verse 7, the Bible, uh, the verse 8, he says, For God commended his love. The word commend means to demonstrate his love toward that in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So Jesus was the demonstration and the expression of God's love. Whatever Jesus did was God demonstrating his love to us. You wonder why didn't God come in his glory to come and express his love? If God came in the fullness of his glory, man would not understand him. Praise God. Now, if, let's say for example, I am an ant. And I've seen ants getting closer to a co-pot filled with fire. And I am a human being and I, I see the ants going into the fire. Distraction. Now, as a human being, I am more glorified than the ant, right? So, 
I am more bigger than the ant, right? If I come and I lift up my hands and say, ant, ant, there is fire, don't go, you will die. The ant will see my hand, my body, everything about me as something scary. He says, the man wants to kill us. Let's run away. If I said, no, 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 no. It, when I'm coming closer to him to, to come and warn the ant, the ant will go backwards. The ant will run. So he may run away from the fire, but he may not understand why I'm instructing him. Are you seeing that? So for me to instruct and save the ant from destruction, I myself must become an ant. Because ant understand ants. That's why Jesus became a man. Because if God wanted to find any other way to explain and to bring man out of darkness, that, that display of God may be misinterpreted by man. So he had to do everything as man. So that man can have an accurate explanation of who this God is and the expression of his love. Are you following this thing? So in Ephesians chapter 3 from the verse 18 to 19, the Bible tells us that God's love is dimensional. In fact, it's four-dimensional. He says, you may be able to comprehend with all the saints the, the breadth, the length, the depth, the height to know the love of Christ which surpasses knowledge that he may be filled with all the fullness of God. Look at the four-dimensional aspects of the love of God. God's love is long. That means it lasts forever. That's the length of God's love. It's forever. Has no boundaries. The love of God is wide. That means it can accommodate every weakness of man. The love of God is deep. The depth of his love. That means no matter how deeply messed up you are, his love can reach you. And the love of God is high. The height of God's love. That means it is higher than the heavens. It's unreachable. It's past finding. It surpasses human knowledge and reasoning. You cannot fully comprehend the love of God. And Jesus came to demonstrate it. You did not deserve it. Yet he demonstrated it to you. Are you following this thing? Now, number three. Jesus came to save us from sin. I explained to you uh, yesterday that before Jesus Christ came, people were getting married, being given in marriage, and people were already married. People had chariots, which in our time are cars. People had properties, which in our time are real estates. People had um, lands. People had connections. So, if Jesus came for the sole reason of giving the people who, the, the people in his time houses or cars or um, marriage or whatever it is that means anybody who had any of these things when Jesus came does not need Jesus are you following me? that is how come if you will notice none of the apostles left any property for anybody the only thing they left for us is a message So that no Christian will be material conscious. Every material he possesses physically becomes an instrument or an outlet to advance God's kingdom. 
every property any Christian owns is actually God's property which he made you a steward over to advance his kingdom. So, in our Christian life, we did not come to possess things. We came to be made stewards over things so that God's kingdom can advance. But the reason why Jesus came primarily was not for things, it's for sins. In Matthew chapter 1 verse 21, the definition or the the um, outline of Jesus' mission, his mission statement was stated. That means this was one of the primary reasons why he came, if, if, if not the most important reason. He says, and he shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. When Jesus came, people had cars, people had houses, people had marriage, people had all these things. The only thing people had in common, which everybody had need of, was the problem of sin. Everybody was a sinner. So the rich cannot say, I, I, I am rich, so I don't need Jesus. Are you following this thing? So the, the common problem every human being has is what? Sin. So that was the primary reason why Jesus came to save us from sin. And I told you many people think that, oh, okay, um, being saved from sin is not really anything. Guys, understand this. Whichever property you have, you will die and leave it here on this earth. Are you following this thing? Whatever you have today, your phone, whatever you have today, when you die, you will leave it here on this earth. So that is not an issue. The issue is that if you die in your sin, that's a big problem. Sin was a serious issue. If it was not a serious issue with you, it was a serious issue with God. When it came to demon possession, Jesus came to anyone that was possessed with demons and he says, come out. And the demons are out. When it came to sickness, Jesus said, be made whole. When it when came to uh, leprosy, Jesus said, be cleansed. When it came to financial issues, Jesus says, go and locate the first fish that comes out when you catch it. Money's in the mouth. When it came to multiplying bread, Jesus held it and gave thanks. When it came to raising fiscal people from fiscal debt, he says, arise. When it came to sin, he died. In fact, it was a serious problem. It was so difficult that Jesus said, if it is possible, let this car pass me. He did not have a problem with all these things I just mentioned, except when it came to sin. That means sin possession is a serious matter. So to be saved from sin is a serious matter. If there is anything to be grateful about, it is to be grateful first of all that you are born again. But today the church has become so materialistic that no matter the teaching you teach, you must add money to it. Because people have, everybody is having financial problems. So now the message of Christ has become valueless. 
to the ordinary Christian. Tell them I'm saved. Jesus saved me from sin. Hi, come on, my question. Thank you, Lord. I'm saved. So, number four, we said Jesus enabled our family relationship with God. This is beautiful. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9, the Bible says, God is faithful. That means it is God's faithfulness that made this possible. He says, God is faithful, 1 Corinthians 1, the verse 9, by whom also he has called us into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Now, this is serious. He says, God is faithful by whom you were called unto the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ. So, it was not your faithfulness that brought you into fellowship with God. It was the faithfulness of God. That means it is not your faithfulness that maintains your relationship with God. It was Jesus that enabled our relationship with God. So he maintains that relationship. So your mistakes does not affect your relationship with God because now your relationship, you know, remember, your relationship with your parents is by blood. Our relationship with God is by the blood of Jesus. And blood is thicker than water. This is good, man. So we are born again into a relationship with God. Jesus enabled it. Are you following this? Number five, quickly. With Jesus came to fulfill God's promises and prophecies in the Old Testament. The key theme for the Old Testament is prophecy. Almost every story you see, every event you see, all what the prophets did was to prophesy about the coming of Jesus and the fulfillment of God's plan. The coming of Jesus was the fulfillment of prophecy. Remember Moses prophesied and said, a prophet who is greater than I am will come to you. He says, when he comes, you must hear him. The prophet greater than Moses was Jesus. He came. Moses brought Israel out of captivity. Jesus brought man out of the captivity of sin and death. He led them into the promised land. Jesus has led us to rest. Come to me all who are heavy laden and, and, and are weary and I will rest you. Christ is actually our promised land. When a man believes in Jesus, he has entered into rest. He's the fulfillment of that promise. Hallelujah. In Luke chapter 24, the verse 25, when Jesus was raised from the dead on the road to Emmaus, the, the, the disciples were discussing, saying Jesus was also one of the great prophets that came and we thank God for his life. He's also dead and gone. They didn't know that Jesus was even going to rise from the dead. They didn't know what was happening. They lacked spiritual intelligence. And Jesus said to them, Oh fools and slow of hearts to believe all that the prophets have spoken next verse he says ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory that means the theme of the Old Testament is fulfilled in that reality that Jesus Christ ought not him to have suffered these things and enter into his glory so the message of the prophecy of the Old Testament is that Jesus will suffer and enter into glory by resurrection 
If you want to understand the Old Testament, you must understand it by key in by Jesus, through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the passcode of the Bible. Now, look at the next verse. He says, and beginning at Moses and all the prophets. So, the Old Testament can be grouped into two or three. The, the, we call it the law, which is called Moses. And the prophets, which is from Joshua to Malachi. He say, and beginning, Jesus, beginning at Moses and the prophets, he expounded, he explained unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. The reason why many are studying the Old Testament and they are more confused is because they are using the, the, the wrong lens. Now, look what happened when he began to expound to them in the scriptures. Look at the next verse. And now, come to the verse 30. verse 31 and their eyes were opened and they knew him and he vanished out of their sight now look at the verse 44 he says and he said unto them these are the words which I speak unto you while I was yet with you that all things must be what? fulfilled which were written in the the law of Moses. What is the law of Moses in this context? It's not the Ten Commandments. The law of Moses in this context is Genesis to Deuteronomy. That's the law of Moses. So he's saying that all things must be fulfilled which were written in Genesis to Deuteronomy and the prophets Joshua to Malachi and the Psalms concerning me. So the entire Tanakh is a picture of Jesus. The word Moses, which is the law of Moses, is... Um... Alright, let me move on. I'll delay you. So Jesus is the fulfillment. He came to fulfill Old Testament prophecies. Number six. Jesus came to fulfill the law. He came to fulfill the law. In Matthew 5, the verse 17, says, Do not think that I've come to destroy the law. I came to what? Fulfill it. To fully feel it. So Jesus came to fulfill the law of Moses and to cancel its legal demands against us. You can add that to it. And to cancel its legal demands against us. Now there are people today who are advocating that the Ten Commandments must be brought back into our schools and children are supposed to learn uh, the Ten Commandments. People don't understand it. Anybody who says the Ten Commandments must be reintroduced does not understand Jesus Christ. There was a reason why the law was given. There was a reason why the law of Moses was given. Talking of the Ten Commandments and the other 603 laws. There was a reason. Why did God give the law? The law was not God's original intent. It was given to confine man for a time before Jesus comes. The law has its program. It, it has its expiry date. Now, you know the placenta of a baby has its purpose. And it serves a purpose for how many months? Nine months. After nine months of preserving and feeding the baby temporarily, when the baby comes out, the baby does not need placenta. It needs breast milk. The law served 
the purpose of a placenta to help man, give man an idea of how God's requirement is temporarily. After Jesus came, died, was buried and was raised from the dead. When a man believes that man has been born again, he has come out from the womb of death. Remember the tomb of Jesus was not just a tomb. That tomb was a womb. It was the womb that birthed man into a new reality called eternal life. Are you following this thing at all? So the law was a temporal something that was given for a purpose. If I give you a gift and I give you in, in the gift, the gift is wrapped with a wrapper. Huh? And you receive the gift, you open the gift. Do you need a wrapper? What do you use? You don't use a wrapper. You use what? The gift, unfortunately, many, many of you are using a wrapper to shine your body. Like as children were doing years ago. I'm teaching you there. Are you getting this thing? I remember some time ago, I was sitting in a trotter. I was on the front seat going somewhere. And there was a mate. There was a mate that was collecting money. And the mate would say, yes, yes, yes. Everybody start paying. So I was at the front seat. So the mate was the one collecting the money on behalf of the driver, right? So he collects everybody's money. And he came to... Uh, so after collecting the money, I wanted to alight at a place. So normally, who normally alerts the driver? The mate alerts the driver that what? This is where I alight, right? So I got to the place where I was going to alight. I was turning my back to tell the mate that, mate, I will get down here. And I remembered I was already sitting with the driver. So I could tell the driver that I will light here. So I stopped talking to the mate and I spoke directly to, to the driver. He stopped and I moved and God was saying, this is the difference between the law and grace. The mate was the law. He was the one directing us and getting us down. Through Jesus Christ, we are no longer the back seat. We are the front seat with the Father. And because we are with the Father, we already have a relationship with God. We don't need to turn our back to ask the mate to alight us. So, the law had a purpose. The law was good. The law was spiritual. But the problem was that man was dead. Canal, sold under sin. So though the Lord was good, it could not make man good. The Lord showed man the way to holiness, yet the Lord could not empower man to live holy. So what was the purpose of the law? The purpose of the law was to reveal sin in man, for man to see how weak he is in himself to save himself, then he will call upon a savior. I've explained to you that if I go to a hospital to visit my friend and I'm told that your friend is dead, you, you don't need to see him again. I said, what killed him? And he said, bad eating habits. I go to my car, I take Reader's Digest on good, healthy practices to do to live long. And I take that book and I read the book to the dead body. I said, dead body, when you wake up in the morning, make sure you eat a lot of roughages, a lot of cabbages, a lot of carrots, drink a lot of water. It's going to help you. Now, the book is good. The book is righteous. The book is wonderful. It can help a man that is alive, but the man is dead. So that man at that time does not need laws or instructions on how to live because he's dead. What he needs is what? Life. The law was good, but man was dead. So man did not need law. Man needed what? Life. That's why Jesus says, 
I have come that you may have what life and life to the full. So Jesus did not come to give us law. He came to give us life because when you are alive, you respond. So you see, so why was the law given? Remember, after the sin of man, after the fall of man in the garden, you need to understand that man was he man looked at himself. Ah, man, God said I'm spiritually dead, I will die. But after I ate it, I'm still alive. In fact, Adam lived 969 years even more. So man was like, nothing has changed. He did not know that the death was inward. So it was like, nothing has changed. God said I would die. I didn't die. I didn't die. I'm still alive. So man did not know he had an inward problem. So man went about living his life thinking that he was okay. And God says, man, you are not okay. You are dead. You need life. Man says, no, I'm still alive. So man's life was now being ruled by his senses. What his senses told him that, okay, I've, I've not done anything this week. I'm, 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 I don't need salvation. What have I done this week? He did not know that the same problem was an inward problem. So now God introduced the law. The law says, thou shalt not. Now man is trying to obey it. Whilst he's trying to obey it, he realizes that, hmm, he tries to obey one, two, three days, then he fails. He's trying to obey it, boom, he fails. He's trying to obey it, boom, he fails. It's like, hey! Ah, what is wrong with me? God says, aha, who be fear? So now, the law was given so that man will realize that, hmm, I'm a sinner. Because I am trying to obey God's requirement and I find no strength in myself. So because I find no strength in myself, what do I need? I need a higher power which is above me. So the purpose of the law was so that man will realize how sinful he is. Because the law was not made to be obeyed. It was made to be what? Disobeyed. You can understand this if you have gone to SS before. If you have obeyed all the laws in the boarding house, come for a gift. <laughs> Israel did a mistake when God gave, God gave them the Ten Commandments. He says, all that you have said, all that you have commanded, we will do it. And God says, whoa, Moses, come up. Come and take the Ten Commandments. And Israel started failing. Nobody can obey the commandment of God except that person is truly alive in Christ. So if we read Romans chapter 3, the verse 20, the Bible says, Therefore, by the deeds of the Lord, no flesh will be justified. That means trying to do the Ten Commandments or trying to do the law will never justify a man before God. So many of you think that it's by doing the law, doing what Ten Commandments has said, that makes you justified before God. God says no. So there are people who feel more confident when they realize they've not done anything in the course of the week. That's wrong. We don't perform to become, we perform because we are. It's a reality. So he says, for by the law is the knowledge of sin. So the law came so that man will know sin. 
if I tell you don't think of a red cat, you will try your best not to think of a red cat. At the end of the day, you will think of a red cat. If you put two glass houses and you write on one, don't throw stones. Which one will burst first? So man is powerless to obey any requirement from God. So Jesus came and obeyed fully every requirement expected from man. And Jesus said, you're believing in me. Your faith is your obedience. Now every blessing that was supposed to be given to anybody that obeyed the law, because I have fully fulfilled it, when you believe in me, you take the blessing. Hmm. That's why I tell people, grace is actually true technology. The purpose of technology is to make life easier and to make life effective. If there is a much, if there are 50 people who have been processing pineapple to make pineapple juice, if it takes them one month to accomplish it, and I design a machine, and the machine can do the work of 100 people and can produce 5,000 pineapple juices in less than three weeks. Do you need those people? So now, not only has the machine made life easy, it has made it more effective. That was the purpose of grace. You accomplish the same thing with a different energy. So the first energy was by the people's efforts. The second energy is by a force. It is by a machine. Christ is that machine. When a man believes in Jesus Christ, he now enters you and becomes the engine room of your life. So grace is God's energy in a man's life. Now he begins to do not by his willpower, he begins to do and to will according to the good pleasure of God. And unfortunately, many people just took only the easy side of grace. They've forgotten that grace actually is supposed to make you effective. So, when you find grace, not only should life be easy, life should actually be more effective. So, people hear grace and they don't pray again. They hear grace, they don't go for soul winning again. They hear grace and they stay home and they say, Christ has finished the work. Meanwhile, the purpose of grace is to make you ten times better than your willpower. In other words, when you find true grace, if you are not praying for one hour, if you find grace, you should pray for five hours. And you can see that in the life of Christ. You can see that in the life of Apostle Paul. You see what grace means. So grace is God's divine technology. Grace is God's deck. Praise God. Number, number seven. Jesus came to bring us into a new covenant. To bring us into a new covenant. Unfortunately, people don't know that we are in a new covenant. People have mixed, mixed covenants. And today, we have old covenant mentality mixed with new covenant mentality and how God dealt with men in the Old Testament has been mixed with how God deals with men in the New Testament. And Christians are trying to live by their own ideology of God. In Matthew chapter 26, the verse 28, it is so emphatic that Jesus Christ came to establish a new covenant. The Old Testament was established by the blood of an animal. The New Testament was established by the blood of Jesus. Tens and conditions under both covenants are not the same. 
How God dealt with men under the old covenant is not how God deals with men under the new. Unfortunately, many Christians don't know that Jesus came to do that for us. He says, for this is the blood of the New Testament which is shed for many for the remission of sins. In the Old Testament, it was the blood of bulls and goats that covered the sins of man temporarily. Follow this thing. In the Old Testament, sin was not forgiven. It was covered. So the sin is there, but the blood of an animal covers it for a time. That's why the sacrifices were done a million times over the years. Because the blood of bulls and goats cannot take away sin. Are you following this thing? But that is not the reality in the New Testament. In the New Testament, the blood of Jesus does not cover sin. The blood of Jesus blots out sin. Big difference. So the sin was present, but it was covered. In the New Testament, that sin that is held against you is blotted and washed away by the blood of Jesus. That is the difference. And some say you don't talk about it. When you talk about it, people feel like going to do what they want to do. People always do what they want to do. And that has not hindered us from telling people the truth of what Christ has done. If you think that hearing your, your, the, the power of the finished work of Jesus Christ wants to make you sin, that means you're a baby Christian. You are an abuse. You are a milk drinker. So in the New Testament, listen, when you have a computer and you delete a file, where does the file go? Where does the file go? To the recycle. That means it's still on the machine. Are you getting this thing? If I want to get it out of the machine, what do I do? I have to go to what? The recycle bin and delete from there. The blood of bulls and goats took the sins of man into the recycle bin of God's system. The blood of Jesus entered the recycle bin and bloated it away once and for all. And that, that is part of what Jesus brought to us in the new covenant. In the old covenant, God dealt with slaves. In the new covenant, God deals with sons. Big difference. The focus of the old covenant was on the sin of man. The focus of the New Testament is on the son of God who took the sin of man to make the man of sin the son of God. Beautiful. We have this reality in the new covenant. Jesus came to open a new covenant to show us a new and living way of relating with God. In the Old Testament, God said, I will visit your transgression unto your third and fourth generation. In the New Testament, God says, your sins, your lawless deeds, I will remember no more. Hebrews 10, the verse 17. No more. Look. Their sins and their iniquities, will I remember what? No more. Now, no more is a very deep Greek word. Can I share with you? The word no more actually means no more. Oh, I think that the grace of God is actually a test to reveal who a man truly is. Because there are some of you who are trying to do right things because you fear God. You fear he'll kill you. That's why you're doing what you're doing. So when grace comes, it takes away all that fear away. Then we see whether you truly love him or not. Because now God is not going to punish you. So he says, oh, no punishment. Ah, okay. Let's get the party rolling. You a baby. 
Are you getting this thing at all? So we are in a new covenant. Quickly, number eight. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. John, 1 John chapter 3, the verse 8. Jesus came to destroy the works of the devil. He says, he that committed sin is of the devil, for the devil sinned from the beginning. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. Glory to God. Hebrews chapter 2, the verse 14. He says, inasmuch as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he, Jesus, also himself likewise partook of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil. In the work of Jesus Christ, he destroyed him that had the power of death. Satan no longer holds the keys of death and hate. The last time I checked in the book of Revelation chapter 1, it is Jesus. Yes, I died and I rose from the dead and I hold the keys of death and hate. Remember, Christ is the head, the church is the body. So if Jesus holds the keys of death and hate and the church is the body, who holds the keys of death? Death has no dominion over the believer. In Luke chapter 10, verse 17, Jesus sent 72 people to go out and do the work of evangelism. They came back returning with joy. Says, the 70 returned again with joy saying, Lord, even the devils are subject unto us through thy name. Now look at the verse. Next verse. He says and he said to them, I beheld Satan as lightning fall from heaven. Next verse. He says, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions. That's, these are demonic powers. He says, And over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. He says, behold, I give you. So you have it. To tread upon serpents. Listen, if you don't know this reality, you will suffer for nothing. To tread on serpents and scorpions. And over how many powers of the enemy? Over what? All the power of the enemy. And what did he say? Nothing. Oh, this verse was a, was a safety for me some years ago. I went to deal with some witchcraft case. And before the, witch, the, the witchcraft spirit was leaving, they said they would visit me. At night. And ladies and gentlemen, I went home to sleep. This is, this is about 13, 14 years ago. So me too, at, at dawn, I was waiting. So whilst I slept, all of a sudden, the dog started barking, barking, barking. I was lying down, sleeping, then I saw a vision of there were two young ladies who they had disturbed that family. They have disturbed that family. Two house helps. Let's see, one uneducated 14-year-old girl who has mastered the art of witchcraft is more powerful than a professor. <laughs> two young girls. So one had a lot of pimples in the face. So in the face, when I was lying down and she came to stand in front of me on the bed, squeezed the face and I rose up. I said, Atala Mahaya. Come and see prayer. I didn't have the understanding I have now. And I remember this verse. They shall by no means hurt me. But I didn't say they shall by no means, so I won't pray. I, I prayed my stomach out. The next morning, their faces were swollen and they left the house. 
if I knew what I knew now, I would have gone to visit them, gather the devils, devils and make them born again. Because that was what was done in the book of Acts. You know, people shared this. Praise the Lord. I have a testimony. Oh, I have a testimony. I stayed with the witch. I didn't know. By the grace of God, I took all you anointed the place. The witch shouted and left the house. That's not a testimony because someone who's not born again has left the house. You must be so powerful as a believer that the witch should be able to stay. Cast out the witch. Make the witch born again. Fill the witch with the Holy Ghost and take the witch to church. That is a testimony. But you see, if you have not developed your spiritual muscles, don't try this at home. So don't say, Pastor, Pastor has given us new revelation. There is a witch in our area. Bro, go home and sleep. Listen, the devil does not want Christians to know that every Christian has authority over him. And you see, this thing is not something that I've told you you have authority. All of a sudden, that means that you are going to demonstrate. No. Every Christian must, see, you must be obeying spiritual instructions for you to come to a place where you can be able to express what Christ has made you. You don't read your Bible. You don't pray. You don't fast. You just wake up. You eat watching. And then you, you, you just go. Then you want to go and cast out the devil because the Bible says you shall cast out devils. Try it and let's see. There was a pastor like that. He was casting out devils. The church members were even doing a better job. He thought he was the head pastor. So as head pastor, he's the head of the church. It was a video. They took a video and they put it on social media. He came, he came to lay hands on the demon. The demon beat him. Punch his stomach, punch his face, and the pastor was running. The demon was chasing the pastor. Hey! <laughs> May no demon chase you. Or maybe you, you are not ashamed. Me, I'm ashamed. I'll be ashamed though. <laughs> Casting a demon, demon is watching you like this. Now, Ovi. Fifi Fiaco. Hey! Oh, I won't sleep. That, there's something wrong. How can a demon not respect me? And, and I've come to realize if you're a Christian, you enjoy sin. No demon will respect you. It's true. That's why I said purity is a weapon. I, it's, it's true. If you like, go, go and try it. I'll show you a place. And this is not a joke. See, last week after I did the teaching, there was, uh, there was somebody that came to see me in the office and was telling me how the message transformed his life. And he was having a battle with what I was teaching about with regards to masturbation, pornography, and all that. And he will not be around again because he's going back to his region. Whilst I was talking to him, the Lord said, this guy doesn't need doctrine. He needs prayer. Because it's a demonic thing. And I said, come in the office. And I poured oil on him, laid hands on him, and a demon manifested. And the demon said, he entered him when he started watching pornography in SS. That was what the demon was telling me in the office. Strong demon with a male voice. 
and said, this is what, see, last week I learned something. He said, are you his pastor? You are not his pastor. Leave him alone. Then I came to realize that your pastor is very important. If you have a pastor, thank God. I'm telling you. You know what I said? I said, I, I have become his new pastor. You have no right. Get out of this body. Less than five minutes, all the demons left. They said, we have been there for long. I said, I don't care. Get out. And when this boy rose up, he had, his face had changed. He has become light. And this guy was free. And I realized that what if I was just teaching doctrine and there's no power backing what I'm teaching? Hey. So this thing about the demonic kingdom, it is not just by knowledge. We are powerful. We are powerful. The Bible says in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, you shall receive power after the Holy Ghost comes. I am powerful. Hey. So I tell listen, if you have a bad dream, you have a dream and a time are chasing you. Don't follow us. So me, I, when I have a bad dream, I don't pray. If I have a dream and I see myself in a coffin, I don't pray. I remind myself that I died with Christ. So that coffin was representing my crucifixion with Christ. But when you have that dream, bro, fast though. Fast and pray. Because though we are saving identity, how most of us have taken advantage of grace? How most of us have, have deepened our riches in what Christ has done for us are not the same. So, if you realize, when you receive Jesus Christ, you are closer with God, you are one with God. Yet, in James 4, 4, he says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. So, I realize that there is a drawing in drawing. That one does not come as a finished work. That comes as an effort on your side to know God better and deeper. So when we organize fasting and people are eating, I'm just watching you. Life, life. All of us will have examination. You know, in every school, you go to school. At the end of the time, you, you write what? Exam. Unfortunately, the exam that comes to you as a Christian, you can't copy, you can't stretch your head. So sometimes when we're saying you're fasting, it is part of the exercise. There, there are spiritual assignments to empower what God has given to us. I'm teaching good here. So we are one with God, but in prayer, we bond with God. We rob on God. When we study the word, there is an effect that comes to us. There's a transformation that comes to us that makes us powerful men. I heard of the account of a man called E.W. Kenyon. This man was full of the word so much so that every major part of his house, he has a Bible there, opened. In his toilet, there's a Bible there. In his hall, there's a Bible there. In his garage, there's a Bible there. In his bathroom, there's a Bible there. Anywhere he enters, he makes sure he reads the scripture before he comes out. It was recorded that no sick person ever existed in this church. There was a farmer who was farming and the tractor passed over his legs and his legs became like biscuit. This man held the legs and said, in the name. When he said, in the name, the legs grew back. Why is it that you are saying in the name and the problems are getting worse? 
you don't get this thing. That man invested his life in the word of God. Smith Wigglesworth will go everywhere with a small pocket Bible. If he's washing the car, there's a Bible here. Whilst he's washing, he's meditating on the word of God. So, you see, so you will never be able to compare yourself with him. His effect, his results will never be the same. And that's what many Christians don't know. The devil is afraid of people who have the word and do the word. They meditate on the word until they have become the revelation of the word. How much time do you spend with God? How much time do you spend with the word of God? You remain powerless as a Christian. Why will people be casting out devils and the demons will look at them and say, Jesus Christ, I know. Paul, I know. Who are you? The last time I checked the account of these lives, Jesus, you know many of you think Jesus was supernatural. That's how come demons were afraid of him. Go and read your Bible well. Jesus grew as normal as everybody. If you read, the Bible says going to church was his custom. Go and read, going to the temple, the Bible says it was his custom. He went to church like he was performing rituals every day. When the devil came, Jesus did not say the word of God. He said it is written. So Jesus had to read the word of God, read the Bible. If you read the book of Luke chapter 2, you'll be shocked. You'll be shocked how Jesus became strong. Look, look at Luke chapter 2. Most of us have believed the wrong things. Luke chapter 2. Look at the verse 40. Luke 2 40. Look. He says, and the child grew and did what? Wax what? Strong in spirit. So Jesus was strong in spirit. Filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. So Jesus was strong in spirit. He was spiritually disciplined. He toughened the muscles of his soul. Jesus fasted. Jesus prayed. Every time you find Jesus praying, prayed all night. He withdrew himself at every miracle that happened. He withdrew himself, go and pray. So Jesus became a terror in his territory. The same with Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul said, I speak in, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. In other words, you all Corinthian church put together, I speak in tongues more than you. Apostle Paul was the one who says, pray without ceasing. It was Apostle Paul who said in fastings often. So when they said, Jesus I know, Paul I know, I knew that it was not just a revelation of position in Christ. There was a working. There was a working. These people were giving. They were yielded to the, to the Lord. They were yielded. They were yielded people. Are you following this thing at all? I don't know why we are talking about why Jesus came. Why are we now? Okay. Number nine. Jesus came to unveil the wealth of God's grace. Jesus came to unveil the wealth of God's grace. John chapter 1, the verse 14, the Bible says, And the word became flesh and dwelt amongst us. And we beheld his glory, the glory like us of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. So Jesus is the fullness of God's grace. His coming was the revelation of that grace. 
in John chapter 1 verse 16 and 17 the Bible says and of his fullness have we received grace for grace look at uh, yes I think look at verse 17 he says the law was given by Moses but grace and truth came by what? Jesus so Jesus came to unveil the world of God's grace hallelujah Where are we now? Which number? Number 10, Jesus gave us legal access to the Father. He came to give us legal access to the Father. Ephesians chapter 2, the verse 18. Now, as you leave this building, leave this building with the understanding of what Jesus came to do. He came to give us legal access to the Father. So everyone who has believed Jesus Christ has legal access. And the access you have with the Father is not an access you gain by your own effort. It's not an access you gain because you were good in one week. It's an access he purchased by his blood. Praise God. He says, for through him, it is through Jesus. That means you can't have that access without Jesus. So those of you who think you are more confident in prayer when you have not done anything bad, it is a wrong ideology. For through him, If you remove through him from there, you are nobody. For through him, we both have access by what? One spirit unto the Father. Ephesians chapter 3, uh, the verse uh, 14. Come to the verse 15. Uh, come to 13. 13. Let's see. Okay. I don't know if it's in 10. Or 12. Check it for me. Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 3. Alright, the verse 12. The verse 12. Ephesians 3, 12. He says, in whom we have what? Boldness and what? Access with confidence by your strength. By what? Faith of him. Our boldness, our access with our confidence is a product of our faith in Jesus Christ. Hebrews chapter 10, the verse 19. Look at that. When you go home, spend time fellowshipping with these truths. If not, they will never become a reality in your life. What do you use your time for? What do you use your time for? How do you use your time? Many of you are wasting too much time. Meanwhile, you could have been you could have used time to develop your spiritual life. Stop wasting time, I beg you. There is no time. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by what? So the boldness to enter into God's presence is by what? The blood of Jesus. That's why when you enter into prayer, the first thing you say, Father, thank you for your blood that is giving me access into your presence. Thank you for your blood. It is his blood that gave us boldness to enter into the holiest. But the blood of Jesus, mm, the blood of Jesus, shall the blood of Jesus. One more time, the blood of Jesus. One more time, the blood of Jesus. That's what we exalt. It is his blood that gave us access. 
No wonder when Jesus died, the Bible says the veil in or the curtains that was separating men from God. Remember, in the temple there was three compartments: the outer court, the holy place, and the holy of holies. And between the holy place and the holy of holies, there was a veil that covered it. Why did God cover it? It was telling man that listen, you are full of sin, you can't approach me. So there's a distance you can't cross. It was only the high priest that enters once every year. No human being can trespass. There was a barrier between God and man. Because God wanted to tell man about his sin. Sin will always bring separation without Christ Jesus. When Jesus shed his blood and died, the Bible says that the veil rent from top to bottom. This was a veil that was 60 feet high and 30 feet wide and 4 inches thick. So for it to tear from top, if it's 60 feet high, that means no human being can tear it. If it tore from the top, that means it must be divine. God tore it. And now anybody that stood close to the temple could see inside the Holy of Holies. Which represented two things. That God was now coming out of the man-made temple to a God-made temple, a human body. Number two, it meant that man can now have free access to enter into God's presence at any time. At any time. You don't need a prophet to take you to God's presence. You don't need a pastor to take you to God's presence. The moment the believer says, Father, he's there. Actually, we live in the presence of God. We can also come into God's presence. Let us come boldly to the throne of grace. That we might obtain mercy and find grace in time of need. We enter boldly by his blood. <laughs> I love to teach the gospel like this, by his blood. And Jesus is the only one that is glorified by his blood. We are boldness. No wonder anytime I enter into prayer I, that nothing just fills me because I enter with gratitude. I'm not here by myself. I'm here by his blood. So the first thing that comes to my lips is thanksgiving. I could be doing this for the next 30 minutes. Thank you for your blood. Thank you for your son. Thank you for Jesus. That Jesus, you said yes. Jesus, you died to give me access to the Father. Thank you, Jesus. Most of you, this will not mean anything to you, but now I've come to find this as true riches. It's a privilege. It is a privilege. It is a privilege to stand in God's presence. <laughs> oh my goodness. Jesus made it possible. Number 11. Jesus came to qualify us to be made partakers of God. Jesus came to qualify us to be made partakers of God. Colossians 1.12 he says, giving thanks to the Father, which has made us to meet. Now, give me another version. Let's say NLT. The word made us to meet means to, to qualify. He says, always thanking the Father. He has what? Enabled you to share in the inheritance that belongs to his people who live in the light. Give that to me in Amplified. He has made us to meet. Amplified. Look, he says, giving thanks to the Father. Who has what? Qualified us and made us what? Fit. So 
your qualification to access God's inheritance does not come by anything in you and of you. We give thanks to him because he qualified us and made us fit. He enabled us. Now, imagine that I, I'm a street boy. I don't have a home. I'm just walking away. And then the vice chancellor of uh, UPS comes to find me. And he says, why are you? I am a street boy. Why is your home? I don't have a home. Who took you to school? I've never been to school before. And then this, this man says, come, follow me. Take you to the office. Go through documentation. Write something, something, something. Hands it over to you and said, I have given you a degree. <laughs> Number one, you're a street boy. You are homeless. Number, number three, you don't have any qualification. Electra calls you. In fact, vice chancellor calls you and gives you a degree. What has he done to you? He has qualified you to be a, any advantage a degree holder has. You have it now. It doesn't make sense. That's what Jesus did for us. We were ghetto boys. We didn't have any hope. And the vice chancellor of life found us, made us fit, enabled us, qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. That means everything Jesus wrought, everything that God has as a property, he says we are part of it. We enjoy the same. Shareholders of God's inheritance. This is amazing. Hallelujah. Look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 3. Now, he says, According as his divine power has given unto us all things that pertains unto life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue. Now, look at the next verse, the verse 4. The Bible says, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. The word partakers of divine nature means associate of the God kind. We share in the life of God. That's why the Christian must be supernatural. Your life must be supernatural. Your life must be what? Supernatural. Your life must be a life of the supernatural. People must wonder why you're not getting sick. They must wonder how you are, you are surviving when you are unemployed. They must wonder how you are able to face the troubles of life yet you are not crying. You don't get this thing. Our life must be supernatural. Healing must be bread for us. You shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Hallelujah. Yesterday, um, one man was sharing with me He's a, he's a member here. He said, uh, after the four glorious nights, when I was tired, he brought his son, that his son is sick, and I just laid down. No, no, it was a serious eye problem. They were taking him to the hospital. When he got home, an issue that has tired for long, when he got home, the boy was now seeing everything was okay. Meanwhile, I didn't know. Your life must be that supernatural. You give a, I gave a face towel to a lady, Go, goes to put the face towel on the mom's head for seven days. Four years of madness is healed. That's a supernatural life. Tell somebody, I am supernatural. Because Jesus qualified me. 
and made me a partaker of his life. Hallelujah. Number 12. Jesus came to remove or take away condemnation. To take away our condemnation. Romans chapter 8 verse 1. Jesus came to remove or take away our condemnation. And the Bible says there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh but after the spirit. If you read in original, in original Greek, there is no who walk after the flesh but after the spirit. It's just one statement. There is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Full stop. Now, the word condemnation is from the Greek word katakrima. Now, and that word katakrima means an adverse sentence. It means to punish. It means to try or to put to domination. Jesus came to release us from condemnation. Hmm. There is therefore now no condemnation. No believer should ever feel damned by God that God is going to dump me in hell one day because of something I did. No. He says there is therefore now no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. That doesn't mean that you don't have godly sorrow when you sin. No. That doesn't mean that because there's a scripture for that. Because sin grieves the Holy Spirit. That means whatever grieves God must grieve us. But this is a verse that is saying if you are in Christ Jesus, there is no domination to you. There is no condemnation to them that are in Christ Jesus. Isaiah chapter 54, the verse 8 to 10. The Bible says, In a little while I hid my face from thee for a moment, but with everlasting kindness will I have mercy on thee, saith the Lord thy Redeemer. Now look at the next verse. He says, For this is as the waters of Noah unto me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so have I sworn that I will not rat thee. That means I will not be angry with thee, nor rebuke thee. It's amazing. It's a prophecy about the New Testament. God is saying that as I swore that the waters of Noah, I will never bring that flood again to destroy the, the whole world like that again. God says, so have I sworn that my wrath will never be upon thee. Now, ever since God swore never to destroy the whole earth again like that with flood, has it happened? So if such a fiscal act carries so much integrity in God's lips, how much more on salvation? Listen, when God swears, it's a serious matter. When man swears, it's not serious. Because when man swears, man must swear by something greater than him. That's why I say, I swear God. I swear my mother. I swear my father. Because your father is higher than you. I swear my ancestors. I swear. You see, when you are swearing, you must swear. If someone says, I swear by myself, don't believe him. He has lied to you already to begin with. If you are swearing, you must swear by something what higher than you. So if God swears, who does God swear by? So God must swear by himself. And if God swears, I am telling you, lie, lie, he has sworn. God's wrath will never fall on the believer. I am giving you scripture. 
It is not emotion, it's not feelings. Romans chapter 8, the verse 32. Now, this is a very interesting verse. It's going to bless you so much. The verse 32 to, I think, 36. Now, look. He says, for he that spared not his own son. God is saying, I did not spare my son because of you. Many of you think salvation is, you know, forgiveness is a pardon. God had mercy on you. God had pity on you. When it comes to sin, there is no pity. God does not dismiss the case. It must be paid with life. Are you following this thing? So he says he that did not spare. So because of you, God did not spare his son. Every punishment you are supposed to receive for sin, Jesus bore it on the cross. So he say he that spared not his son, but did what? Delivered him up for us all. How shall he not with him also freely give us all things? Now look at the next verse. Who shall lay a thing to the charge of God's elect? Who can come and say, I'm charging you with this? He says, the answer is what? Now, now, hold on. Let's just do some few equations before we get into it. Now, he's asking, who shall lay a thing to the charge of God's elect? Now, remove the that justified from there and read it. Number one, two, go. It is... He's saying that who can charge you? Hey, I'm accusing you. You are the one who has done it. You can never come into the presence of God. He said, who can charge any of God's elect? And the answer is what? That means it is only God that can charge you. And he says, he justified you rather. Hey. Next verse. Check that. Are you ready for this bomb? He says, who is he that condemned? It is, so who has legal permission to condemn you? It is Christ. Rather, what did Jesus do? He died. For your condemnation, he died. And rather, instead of condemning you, he rose again. Who is even at the right hand of God, who also maketh intercession for you? Hey! He make an intercession for me. And that intercession is not, it's not like he's there saving you from the father. Many of, you see, many people have a problem with the father. They don't have a problem with Jesus. Because they feel the father is the bad one and Jesus is the one who is cooling his temper. So it's like, God is... <sighs> oh, you see what Adam is doing? <clears throat> Michael, arrange, arrange, attack. Then Jesus will run slow motion. Father, no. Father, you can't do this. Look at my hand. Look at my hand. I did this for them. Look at my leg. Look at my side. I took this for them. Father, you dare not. You dare not. I have suffered too much for them. And the father will be like, oh, I'm lucky. I like it. You know, that's how we are seeing the thing. Jesus, we said, is the revelation of the Father. That means whatever Jesus has done is, in fact, it is God's approval. So, the intercession or the mediatory work of Jesus is not to cool down God. 
It is to agree with God of a reality that has taken place in him. So the intercession of Jesus is that Jesus by his new life after resurrection is an intercession that you can also live for God. Jesus is praying for you. Instead of condemning you, he's what? Praying. Hey! Oh, I love to hear the good news. I love it. I can teach this for the next five hours. That is if you have capacity to listen. You are ready. Let's go. Are you getting this thing? I love, I love, oh my goodness. I love the word. Yummy, yummy, yummy. Hi. Okay, so, number 13. Let's do it quickly. He came, Jesus came to reconcile us to God. He came to reconcile us to God. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18. He says, and all things of God, who has what? Who has what? Reconciled. I told you that if you don't take care, grammar can be your demon. The demon following you. If you miss past tense, present tense, future tense, you'll be in trouble. If you are reading the New Testament, you must be careful of tenses. If you see past tense, it has taken place. You cannot make it happen. If you read New Testament, you will never find God's love as a future event. Who has loved us? Who loved us? Every time love is used, is past tense. God has loved you. Now we're saying, and all things of God, who has what? Reconciled. That means this event has taken place. You can never reconcile with God. You are reconciled with God by who? Jesus Christ. Reconciled to himself by Jesus. By Jesus. That's why every reality of New Testament is in him. In whom? Through him, by Jesus, you only find these realities in New Testament epistles. That means the day you take in him out and it is in you, you are done. So he says, Reconcile the word reconcile in the Greek is katalaso. Say katalaso. Come on, let's go. Katalaso. One more time, let's go. Katalaso. So if you go home and they ask you what do we learn today, what do you say? Katalaso. The word katalaso means to bridge the gap. It means to cancel distance. Mm. Hmm. First Peter three eighteen. <laughs> I'm sensing some strong anointing in this place. For Christ also has, how many times? How many times? One suffered for what? So who suffered for your sins? So will you ever suffer for something Jesus suffered for? So every consequence that must come from God in punishing you, Jesus faced it. But that doesn't mean you, you cannot suffer earthly for the wrong choices you make. Don't, don't get that wrong. If you, if, you don't, if you doubt me, go out and snatch a woman's arm back and try running. So, so the finished work of Jesus Christ is, doesn't mean that because Christ suffered for our sins, that means he has suffered, them, he has suffered for the things we, we do when we deal with men. Are you following this thing? 
Good. So he says, the just for the unjust, that he might what? Jesus suffered for sin that he might do what? Bring us to God! That he might what? Oh, why you see if Ghana scored a goal, will you be doing that? This is a goal. This is a spiritual goal. That he might go. <laughs> that he might bring us to God. So we have been brought to God. Let's do it quickly. Number 14. Jesus came to make us righteous and holy. Jesus came to make us righteous and holy. Let me do it quickly because of the time. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. I wish I could talk about it, but there's actually a whole series altogether. So let me just touch the scriptures, then we can finish. For he had made him to be seen for us. Who did what? Knew no sin, that we might be made what? The righteousness of God in, are you realizing every time you see what? In, in him. Everything we have is in him. That we might be made the righteousness of God in him. God made him who knew no sin to be made sin. Sin offering for us. That we who knew no righteousness might be made the righteousness of God. Lift your hands and say, I am righteous. In him. Never say you are the righteousness of God. You are not. You are the righteousness of God in him. Never. Don't remove it from there. I'm the righteousness of God in him. You love it? Are you sure you love it? Alright, let's look at Romans chapter 5 verse 17. He says, for by one man's, for if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and of the gift, huh? gift of righteousness shall reign. If you are here, sin is reigning over you. There's a problem. There's a, there, there is a problem. The believer is supposed to reign over sin, reign over temptation, reign over addiction, reign. So if you are under an addiction, you are not reigning. You are not reigning. Anything that seems to be greater than the Christ in you is something telling you are not reigning. You are designed to reign. That's how you know you are living a Christian life. I'm reigning. A life by one, Jesus. So we need to understand the New Testament righteousness is a gift. In the old righteousness was a work. It is attained by obeying the law and everybody failed. In the New Testament, righteousness is a gift and we receive it by faith. In Romans chapter 3, verse 20, the Bible says, therefore by the deeds of the law no flesh shall be justified for by the law is the knowledge of sin. The verse 21, he says, but now a righteousness of God apart from the law has been revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Verse, 20, uh, verse 22, it says, which righteousness is by what? Is by what? Faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all who work, all them that what? That believe! For there is no difference. You know, next verse. That's where a lot of people used to lead prayer. 
Beloved, let's pray. The Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Beloved, sin is a serious matter. We have to be very careful. And before we enter God's presence, please, all have sinned. This scripture is not to lead prayer. Because there is no full stop there. There is a semicolon, meaning he has not finished. This scripture is a means to an end. He says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now what? Now what? Being justified. Freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ. I love you, Lord. Why wouldn't you be grateful? Why will you be living? You are sorrowful because you don't have a material possession. And look at your inheritance. You need to apologize to Jesus for not seeing the things he has done for you. And all you see is physical things. Yes, sir. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. Jeremiah chapter 51, the verse 10. Jeremiah prophesied this reality. And look what he said. Jeremiah 51, 10. He says, the Lord has brought forth what? Our righteousness. <laughs> Come, let us declare in Zion the work of the Lord our God. What is the work? Christ our righteousness. What he did. It, it brought forth our righteousness. He has brought it forth. So you don't bring forth righteousness. He brings it forth. And then you, pro you actually bear the effect of that righteousness. Are you following this thing? Look at Romans chapter 10, the verse 3. Romans 10, 3. It says, for they being ignorant of God's righteousness. So there are two kinds of righteousness. Righteousness by faith in Christ and righteousness by your work. By doing he says for they being ignorant of God's righteousness and what going about to establish their own hey God has given you the gift of righteousness no 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 I want to attain it you see the insult he says to establish their own righteousness have not what submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God look at the next verse he says for Christ is what the end of the law of righteousness of righteousness to everyone that what believes when you believe Jesus Christ every effort on your side to try to prove to God that you are righteous on your own terms he says Christ is the end is this thing getting there now look at Philippians chapter 3 the verse 10 no, in fact the verse 9 Philippians 3 9 are you putting down some notes Look, he says, and be found in him. Not what? Having my own righteousness. The whole of this week, I've been a very, very good boy. Therefore, uh, I'm, I'm righteous. I'm, I'm righteous because uh, I've, I've done it. Eh. No, no, no. You are supposed to live a righteous life. But never boast in that righteous life you're living. You always attribute it to the grace of God producing that life out of you. Inasmuch as God expects you to, to, to bear the fruits of righteousness, 
He expects you to first know you have become righteous, first of all, by faith in him. He says, not having my own righteousness, which is what? Of the law. That means there are two kinds of righteousness. Righteousness by the law is one. Nobody can attain it. He says, but that which is what? Through faith of Christ. The righteousness which is of God by faith. Hallelujah. Look at Romans chapter 4, the verse 1. I love this thing. He says, what shall we say then that our, our father Abraham, as pertaining to the flesh, has found? Next verse. He says, for if Abraham were justified by works, he had wear off the glory, but not before God. Huh. Next verse. For what said the scripture? Abraham believed God and it was counted unto him for that is in Genesis 15, 6. The Bible says Abraham believed God. It was counted to him for righteousness. Now look, next verse. He says, now to him that worketh is the reward not reckoned of grace, but of what? That if I work for 21 days, what you give to me is not a gift. It's called what? Salary for work done. So the next verse is going to tell us, he says, but to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justified ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. Aye! If I work for 21 days, what you pay me is not a gift. What you pay me is salary. I deserve it because I work for it. Now, if I'm unemployed, eh, and, and a CEO of uh, Bank calls me and says, you are not working, but I want you to stay home. At the end of the month, I will pay you 5,000 Ghana cities. Is that salary? It's called what? Grace. Why? Because I believed in the CEO. God is saying, he is the CEO of righteousness. When you believe in him, without working on your side, he gives you righteousness as salary. Some of you need to resign. This is a spiritual language. Don't go and resign from work, please. Or come back there. This resignation is a resignation for everything in you that makes you think that you can earn righteousness from God. Resign and receive. Is, is this service blessing you at all? I wish we could stay. You see, originally, a church was designed in such a way that when we come in the morning, we have to, we have to leave in the evening then we will indoctrinate you with Christ. By the time you are leaving, you are, you are walking like this. You are full of Jesus. When they squeeze you, what comes out is Christ. But we just finished one hour, I said, Kofi, then you go and be watching wrestling. The wrestling will wipe away every reality about Christ you know. Kunkum Baja. Facebook, you're watching all the videos. Then all the things, these investments... wipes away. You forget them. And then you live as a poor man. You live as somebody who Christ has not died for. Actually, I wanted to share 
about 26 27 of them and we are on 14. you might be careful <laughs> we are just on 14. if we keep teaching some of you will not come to church again yeah because we're in a tom tom generation when you have to come to church when you come to church we'll give you meat pie that's when you come to church When we came to church, they, clo they closed out too long. Made them pesa, michisa. Hey, so they, we can't advance. We cannot grow the church. So now people in fear do forty-five minutes service, and they run like fifteen services, forty-five minutes. Then people come shallow. They live shallow because they spend forty-five minutes with God and spend over one hundred and thirty hours with the rest of the world. How will we grow? We will never grow. How will we be overcomers? We will never be overcomers. They will overcome us every time because we are not deep. And the small nose that you copy, when you go home, you go and put it away. Some of you, your diary is too new. You have never gone through any notes before. Your diary is a citation. You only look at it and the decoration and the design of the diary. That's all. That's what you are doing in the church. That's why the church is powerless. I am telling you, the church will, will remain powerless if the church does not rise up and wake up from their laziness, their slumber, and their excuses. They say the pastor is keeping long. It's not the pastor that is keeping long. You don't lack, you lack capacity to receive more. That's your problem. So face the problem. The church is not deep again. Average believer, one out of ten can explain salvation. The rest of the nine, they don't even know why they are saved. They've been in church for 15 years. What kind of Christianity, what kind of Christian are you? Oh, I will tell you the truth. Because the time is coming. If you are not deeply rooted in God, I am telling you, you'll be swayed by lesbianism, slayed by homosexuality, slayed by financial problems, and you will compromise. You will compromise. You will do things you know in your heart is not right, but because there is nothing, you have to compromise to get it. It's because you are not deep again. Go and look at the early church. When I read the book of Acts every time, I am crying. I am crying. Look at how the church lived. Read the book of Acts. You'll be shocked. People sacrificed so much for Jesus. They gave up their life, their comfort for Jesus. And we are unwilling to sacrifice even our spiritual growth. We don't want it. How much more going out to go and save souls? To be of use to the Lord. Everybody is busy. Everybody is going about their own business. Everybody. Ever since you started doing your masters, which soul have you won in the master class? What are you mastering? Ever since you went to the degree program, which soul have you won? These small teachings we are giving to you, who have you shared it with? And the truth of the matter is that what you don't share, you hardly experience. It is in sharing our faith that our faith becomes stronger. Until you go out there, you will never know what God has given to you. When you go out for evangelism, that's when you see true power. One of our members went for evangelism. He saw a Muslim and says, Jesus loves you. After praying for one hour, the Muslim was hunted by that statement. The next day, he came to stand at the same place waiting for that member to come. He came and he said, when you said Jesus loves you, something was happening to my soul. I could not sleep. This is what we call true Christianity. Where's the church? Where's the church? The church will see a church member will spend three hours doing makeup and cannot endure one hour service. The church must wake up. 
Because the enemy is not asleep. He is doing everything to weaken the church so that in our services he will stand and mock us because he knows what you are what you are doing is fake. What you are doing is fake. We are not broken again for the Lord. We are not convicted that our service to God is poor, is mundane, is worldly. We are expecting entertainment from the pulpit. Now we have to behave like a borrow and basket mouth so that he can come to church. Lord, help the church. That's my prayer for you. I pray, God knows I can talk this way because I pray for the church every day. Not just LGCC. For the body of Christ. Because there are too many weaklings. Weaklings in the church. Who know nothing about the salvation they claim they have. They know nothing about it. You ask the average Christian, are you saved? He says, yes. How do you know you are saved? Sir? Because I come to church. Because I give my tithe. You, you, will not, you will not easily convince a Jehovah witness out of his faith. You will not easily convince a Muslim out of his faith. Because right from their infancy, they are indoctrinated with a revelation. We don't influence our children again. When they come back from school, what do we teach them? I started teaching my son how to lift up his hands when you are praying for him. We have to indoctrinate them. Today, Christianity is not powerful again. It is not powerful again. It is a concern. Listen, at this time, I'm talking God's heart to you. How God feels in heaven. Why Christians don't care about their spiritual life? They, they feel okay for not reading their Bible for three days, four days, five days, and they are normal. Nothing wrong with it. You don't, you don't, feel, you don't feel bad about the fact that you have not prayed for three days. How are you doing? Say, hey, by the grace of God. Hey! Why are the Christians? Why are the Christians? Why are the Christians? They are escaping. They want cheap Christianity. Easy Christianity. Escaping all the spiritual disciplines. Escaping their faithfulness to their Messiah. Their loyalty to God. That God, even my work will not take my devotion with you. I will sacrifice to wake up at dawn to spend time with you. Read my Bible. Go through my notes. So that my relationship with you will be deepened. No, the Christian will not do it. He will be okay watching a three-hour movie, four-hour movie, five-hour movie. And the Christians are one place. It's not boring. But staying at the feet of Jesus is boring. Jesus is grieved. At the state of the church. He's grieved. And he's speaking through his prophet. Only the discerning will know that this voice is not Isaac Lapapu speaking. This voice is the very mouth of Jesus. Voicing how it is concerned. The heartbreak. He has for the people he died for. For the people he died for. For the people he died for. They don't have time for him. They don't have time for him. Because everybody's chasing for money. Let me tell you, the more money you have, the more problems you have, I am telling you. So you will never be satisfied with any money you are chasing for. The more money you have, the more responsibilities you have. So usika and so die, I am telling you. So if you think that you are looking for a better job to better your life, I am telling you, you are deceiving yourself. 
because family members will bring you more problems. You will pay more school fees. The more money you get, the more money you will want. So I'm telling you, money does not satisfy. Nothing satisfies except true relationship with God. I am telling you this thing. If your relationship with God is not active, if your author of prayer, your study of the word of God is mundane and you are still feeling okay, coming to just smiling, living and ending the day, smiling. You didn't have a bad day. Nothing was wrong with you. You didn't feel, you didn't feel okay. Apostle Johnson said the man has been reading them about five chapters every day. He reads the Bible every year. He finishes the Bible every year. He said on Sunday after he's done preaching to a church member, when he's done with counseling, before he, he goes home, he makes sure he completes his discipline. On a Sunday, he completes his discipline as a Christian, not as a pastor. He will read that portion he's supposed to fulfill before he goes home. And many of us are in a hurry to go home from Sunday. When we go home, it is sleeping we are going to sleep. I'm telling you, we just go and eat and sleep. It is not God's kingdom again. I'm talking to the entire body of Christ because whatever is going on, not only here, it is going on everywhere in the body of Christ. Christ has been forgotten in our church, on our pulpit. Now pastors don't preach about Christ again. They don't preach about Christ. How would the church know about Christ? So we just profess Christianity. There is no experience. Those time a group of five believers will be praying and as they are praying, the glory of God fills the whole place and they are speaking in tongues and the kingdom of darkness bows to his feet. Where are the church? Where believers without a prayer meeting will be having phone call, conference call, prayer meetings? Where are the days? When believers by their own intuition will organize five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, they'll go, they will go to a prayer camp and go and fast, wait on God for three days. Why is that time? Because we are all busy. We go and live and we use that leave to rest. Meanwhile, there's not, no rest until you have a true relationship with God. That's when you rest. We have been influenced by friends, never influenced by the word. Look at how easy it is to obey our own friends. We know how to obey them. A Christian does not have discipline. The average Christian will be going, and someone says, oh, why are you going? I'm accompanying with my friend. You will leave whatever you are doing. Christians will leave their Bible reading and follow useless things. I am telling you, the world is about to get worse and I'm trumpeting this reality as a prophet to you. The world is about to get worse and those who don't have rooted relationship with God I am telling you, you will compromise you will compromise today pastors have been paid they can't talk again, because the day they talk about it members will be angry why is the pastor speaking loudly like that, he's not supposed to talk loudly he's not supposed to talk that way to the church I've paid something in the church, if you do that I won't come again so every pastor is silent Does Calvary mean anything to you? Listen, this Christmas we are celebrating. Is it really about Jesus? Is it really about Jesus? 
You need to answer that question before you leave here. This Christmas you are celebrating, is it really, really about Jesus? We are not behaving like the early church. Our priorities have been taken. We have lost it. And the challenge is that we don't know we have lost it. It's like a naked man walking and to him, his clothes. You know what Jesus said to one of the churches? He said, you are naked. Let me open that to you. Come to the book of Revelation chapter 3. I have closed. Come to the verse 16. Revelation 3, 16. Come to 15 first. Look at what he said. This is talking about us, you and I. He says, I know thy works. That means every work the church is doing, Jesus knows. He says, thou art neither cold nor hot. That's what the church is. You will find an average Christian. They, they behave in a way as though they are not Christians. They, they are Christians. When they find a gathering, they want to pass. They are called Christians. But when they leave, they are not Christians. They are neither hot. They are, they are hiding their identity as Christians. They want people to find out that they are Christians. They feel shy to carry their Bibles. That's what is happening to the church. Look, he says, I would wet cold or hot. Look at the next verse. He says, so then, because thou art lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will spew you out of my mouth. That means you become irrelevant because anything you throw from your mouth is irrelevant. Look at the next verse. He says, because thou sayest, look at the deception of the church. Go and read this verse. I am rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing. And knowest not that thou art what? Wretched! And what? Miserable. Miserable. And what? Poor. And what? Blind. These are Christians who have been serving God for years. And what? Naked. Look at the next verse. I counsel thee, Jesus is counseling us, to do what? Buy of me. What? Gold tried in the fire, that thou mayest be what? Rich. This gold there is the value of Christianity. If we are to try your current Christian life, will it be wood? Will it be stubble? Will it be hay? Or it will be gold, silver, or precious stones? If this issue doesn't bother you, if this issue doesn't bother you, I am telling you, you will amount to nothing for the Savior. And you'll be, to have, you'll be in heaven because you believe Jesus. But the shame will John Wesley be happy watching you? Will Bray Hyde be happy watching you? Will George Whitefield be happy watching you? David Livingston they left all their goods from America and they came to Africa to come and sacrifice their life for the gospel to come to Africa. And these people came at the age of 17, 18, 19. They all died with malaria because of their heart and their love for God. And now even our personal spiritual life is a problem. How much more reaching out for souls? Our own spiritual life is a problem. A Muslim man, wherever he is, when it's time to pray, whoever you are, he will stop whatever work that he's doing. A Muslim repairer, air conditioning repairer, came to 
do my air condition for me. When it was time to pray, he stopped working. Meanwhile, I'm paying him. He knelt down in front of my door. I felt so bad. How can a Muslim be praying in my house? Knelt down, prayed 30 minutes and went back to work. At that time, I was not praying. I felt so stupid. I was like, God! This man is faithful. Pray five times to a God that does not exist. A Jewish man will pray three times a day. Irrespective of, see, they pray whether they are sad or not. It's only Christians who allow problems to steal their relationship with God. A Buddhist can stay with Buddha. You say you don't have time. Meanwhile, when you close from work, you can pass by a park and pray two hours. When you get home at nine o'clock and you are sleeping, you will have a good conscience. God is speaking to us. As we are entering 2022, I'm not just talking about the new year resolution. Mean business with God. No Bible, no breakfast. Be resolute. Praise Jesus. I respect my relationship with Jesus above any other thing. If you don't come to that conclusion, whatever has taken the place of Jesus is an idol. It is. It is. 